Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. And uh, that's fantastic. Come on, let's get into the Word this morning. Uh, I am loved this series. I don't know about you, uh, but I've had so much feedback from this series. It's complicated. And as we've talked about the complications of relationships, and I bet you that every single person in this room could relate to the idea that relationships are just downright stinking, ridiculously complicated. And uh, it's hard to be uh, in relationships sometimes. And many of us are here today because we come through, maybe we've been through a divorce or maybe we've been through a, a hard breakup or maybe we've had friendships fall apart or maybe you're married and your marriage is on the rocks and you just don't know what to do and you're like, man, this is complicated. So what I felt like we've been able to do is walk through the Bible teaches really clear things on what a godly relationship should look like and kind of how to uncomplicate those relationships. For sake of time, I am not going to recap the first three weeks. I was encouraged not to do that. But you can go online to lovecitychurch.ca forward slash sermons and listen to the last three sermons we did on It's Complicated. We are going to jump back into a a thought that I shared in the last three weeks because it is foundational to where we're going to go today. I'm going to share a little thought with you from our key text in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to hang out there for a few minutes and then we're going to jump over to a story in the Old Testament that's basically going to illustrate my point today. So you get to sit back. If I had popcorn, I would hand it out and you just sit back and enjoy the story and watch the tapestry of God's word teach you about the concept that I'm going to present to you today. And so we've shared several things, uh, several ideas of what uh, a godly relationship looks like or what God intends for your life. But we started in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. We're going to read it on the, the screen behind us. And uh, let's go there right now. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, let it be uh, placed uh, as a priority in our lives. And we pray that today that everything I say today would bring glory to your name. Help me not to say that stupid Ryan stuff. Help me to say that awesome Holy Spirit stuff. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the tree of every uh, tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. We identified that God came to Adam and gave him two objectives, two statements, and we spent a lot of time last week talking about this first thought, and I have to articulate it because it is the foundation for where we're going to go today, that God basically said to Adam, I'm going to give you two thoughts. Two of these thoughts are very important for your life. The first one is this. You have an option, you have a choice to choose between me or the tree. In a relationship with me, you have everything you've ever needed. You've got full knowledge, full understanding, full relationship with me, and it will be really, really great for you if you choose me. But I am going to give you the option of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm going to show you the idea of good and evil. You know, if you tend to, you can actually choose that if you want. But I'm warning you, I'm letting you know, if you tend to choose the tree over me, you will surely die. Now, that meant that they would no longer be eternal beings. They would now have a mortality. They would die, and they lasted a thousand years. That's pretty good, Hello, I, you know, many of us today last like 70 to 90, maybe, but a thousand years, imagine that, or maybe a little under, but that's a long time to live or whatever. So I'm sure I'm going to get an email because I probably got that, that, that number wrong. <laughs> you know, it was 979, right? But he lived a long time. And now his relationships were not as, uh, as, as great as they once were. And so God is basically saying, listen, you got a choice. And there's something very important about what this statement says. He said he warned him that if you eat of the tree of, of, every, of, of the 
knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And the reason God did not want him to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because God had already given Adam everything he needed, including a full realization of why he was on the planet. He fully understood his purpose. He fully understood why he was breathing air on this planet. There was no qualms about it. There was no questions about it. There was no requirement of fasting or no searching of a, of a psychic or searching out other opinions. He had full knowledge of the exact reason God created him on the planet. And God knew that if you chose the knowledge of good and evil, it would actually begin to skew your understanding of your purpose in life. Many of the things that many of us uh, today in the room, I imagine, would all, if we sat around a table and we talked about some of the most deepest questions that we have, some of the most real, honest questions that people ask is, why am I on this planet? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? What is my life all about? Where am I going? Why am I breathing air? Some of us go to a job, we work uh, nine to five, we come home, we go through this rhythm of this hamster trail, uh, the second hamster because the first one didn't make it, but <laughs> go through this life, going to work, doing our thing, then we finally ask the question, why are we do doing all of this? What is the point of all of this. And see, Adam understood these very basic foundational realities that in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I begin to realize why I was put on this planet. I begin to realize my purpose and I begin to wake up no longer living for the dollar, but I'm living for God. No longer living for sex, but living for God. No longer living for a high, but living for God. I realize that if I stop choosing the tree and start choosing God, my life will now have meaning and value that it's never had before. And Adam had this full understanding of what it meant to have purpose. We need to understand here something today that every single person in this room whether you're a follower of God or not, God has a purpose for your life. He not only, not only has a specific purpose for your life, he not only has given you skill sets and wiring to maybe God's called you to be a vet and share the kingdom of God with the animal kingdom and all of its owners. Or maybe God's called you to be an education assistant like my wife and you're there working with students who just need a buddy and need a partner and God's bringing the kingdom of God to that school. Maybe he's called you to do that specific thing but you need to know something that in the history of our lifetime from the beginning of time to the end of time God has an overarching sovereign plan for all of humanity and you actually play a role in the fulfillment and the expansion of God's kingdom in the world today as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just about your job. Job, it's also about the reality that your life fulfills God's purpose on this planet. And when you give your life to God and you serve him and you choose him, you begin to realize not only do I begin to discover who I am, which we're on a journey to, to, to take you on as a church through all these next step stuff and figure it out, who are you, coach you and all those things, but also you need to understand that as an individual, you play a role in God's kingdom as a bigger picture too. And God wants you to be a part of the overarching story of redemption for this world. There's a purpose. So Ryan, what does this have to do with relationships? See, we come to our second text that we've been hanging out with, and I want to share, firstly, a scripture with you in Ephesians 1, 11 to 13, the message paraphrase. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. 
Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, He had His eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose He's working out in everything and everyone. He has designs on your life to live glorious living. And so we come to our key text for this last four weeks. Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper for him. It's not good for you to be alone. God wants to bring relationships into your life. They want the, the, the purpose of those relationships are to help you. And our fourth thought, which we've been on this, uh, this, this successive sequential journey to this fourth thought, is that the relationship God gives you is going to help you fulfill God's purposes. The relationship God gave you is not just about your happiness or your fulfillment, which it is. It's also about the idea that you play a part in this overarching large picture of God's kingdom on this earth today. The word helper there in this verse actually means a suitable helper. It also means to fulfill a specific purpose. So when God brings a godly relationship to you in your life, maybe it's a husband or wife, maybe it's a close friend, maybe it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's a father, a grandfather, I don't know, whatever it might be, but when God places that relationship in your life, a mentor, a pastor, someone in your life, there's a specific purpose that that person is supposed to play in your life to make sure that you're fulfilling the purposes of God in this world today, for the overarching picture of what God intends for all of humanity, you play a large part. You might think you're insignificant today, but actually, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he says, okay, step up. you got a plan for your life. you got a purpose for your life, and it's really, really important. Yeah. So when God places someone in your life, he actually puts that person in your life to fulfill a specific purpose in your life. Look at the scripture in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, and then verse 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind. I want you to really pay attention here. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God saw all that he had made and it was very good and there was evening, there was morning and this was the sixth day. And all of the descriptions of creation of the world every single time after every single day, God said and it was good. When God created man and gave him a purpose and he said there needs to be a relationship in order to fulfill that purpose, he said, this is very good. That word very is used all throughout the scripture, the phrase very good, but the very means that this is actually abundant. This is like overflowing. That This is a large goodness. This is really, really great. And you have to see something about this verse. God not only had a specific and a, uh, overarching purpose purpose for Adam's life, but he could not do it without a partner. Adam could not multiply and fill the earth if it wasn't for Eve. And many of us in our life today, we get into our journey with God and we get on this individual. That's why when people say to me, man, I don't believe in church. I'm like, well, you're missing the point. This is not an individual journey with God only. 
The purpose of the church is to actually realize that for you to fulfill your purpose, you can't do this alone. You have to have someone else in your life that God places in your life that's going to push you towards your purposes. So if you don't have someone in your life who's pushing you towards the purposes of God for your life, that may not be a relationship that God wants you to be in. If you're here today and you say, Ryan, how do I know if my relationships are godly or not? Well, do they push you towards the purposes of God for your life and the overarching sovereign plan of God to redeem the world back to him? If it's a no, then you say, okay, I need to step back and ask myself this question. Is this a relationship of God or is this a relationship of the tree? Am I choosing the tree over God's purposes? Because God's purposes, God will place people in your life who will sharpen your iron. They will look you right in the eyes and say, hey, I love you, but the way you're acting is just not good. Hey, you know what? That behavior you're doing, that lifestyle you're living, that thing you're doing, that investment, hey, I love you, and I have no dog in this fight here. I'm just saying this because God put me in your life to push you towards the purposes of God for your life. I hate that guy. He's always telling me what to do. He's always giving me encouragement to do better. Man, he's always calling me on the carpet, wanting to read scripture with me, wanted to call me at night and say, hey, let's pray together. Encourage me. Listen, the reason they're doing that is because God put them in your life to push you towards God's purposes. That's the way to know if you should continue to be in a relationship with someone. Now, listen, in the context of marriage, it's a different conversation. (laughs) Pastor Ryan said, I can divorce my husband because he's not pushing me towards my my purpose. I'm not saying that. Don't take me out of context. You need to look at your relationships and ask yourself the question, is this centered on the tree or is this centered on God? If it's centered on God, it's all the purposes of God in the kingdom today. Everything in our life is about fulfilling the purpose of God on the earth today. Everything in my life is about seeing God's kingdom expanded to my job. Everything in my life is about seeing God's kingdom expanded to my neighborhood. Everything in my life, because that's what followers of Jesus do, recognize that it's not just about my personal fulfillment, though there's a great part of it. It's also about you expanding the kingdom of God in every sphere of your life and you should be pushing one another to do that in your life today. And if those relationships are not doing that, you need to stop and consider. Maybe those relationships are things you've invited into your life and that God has not brought into your life. Relationship needs to have a conversation, maybe spend less time with them, and find someone in your life who's going to begin to push you forward in your walk with God. So let's jump into this Old Testament thought. There's the foundation for where we're going to go today. You have a specific purpose. Not only that, but you have a general purpose to expand God's kingdom through every area of your life. And it actually brings fulfillment to, to restore God's kingdom. And you get to be a part of this major journey, even though you're just a little, you know, kind of a peon in the existence of eternity, in the existence of our world and our history. You're just kind of right here. I'm just kind of right here. But that part has a really important part to play in the kingdom of God. And if our lives are all about that, then we say, okay, I need to get people in my life who are going to push me towards that. Look at the scripture here in Matthew chapter. You're going to think this is kind of weird reading this, and I don't want to bore you. Uh, so I took out a lot of verses out of this because it's a genealogy, folks. <laughs> if you don't know what a genealogy is, it's a list of people who had sex with one another and had kids, <laughs> basically. <laughs> don't be so offensive. It's okay. Jeez. Oh, man. Matthew 1, 1, look at this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, 
the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. This is a trailing of the seed line of Jesus all the way from the beginning of Abraham, the father of our faith, the first uh, of the Jewish nation, Abraham, all the way down to the prophesied Messiah, who we believe to be 100% man, 100% God, Jesus Christ. We see the seed line being carried. Each of these people were carriers of the seed of the kingdom of God all throughout their life. This genealogy talks about this person played a part and this person played a part and this person played a part. And if you know anything about this list, you know this is a very complicated list of relationships. Abraham was prophesied at 75 years old that he'd have a kid. 25 years later, 99 years old, he had a baby. His wife was 92 years old. That's complicated. <laughs> we see that Isaac fell in love with a woman. His, her dad made him work seven years for the relationship. He works towards this relationship. Seven years, they get married. Honeymoon night, he's ready to go. Goes to bed with her, sleeps with her, and realizes it's his sister-in-law. His dad, her dad, put the older sister in there. And he woke up and said, I slept with Leah. He said, what'd you do that for? I'm not going to give you the younger before the older. You've got to have the older. Now you're going to work seven more years for Rachel. Fourteen years this guy worked to have two wives. That's weird. That's complicated. You see, that salmon, not trout, salmon, was married to Rahab. Rahab? was the woman, the prostitute, who saw the spies in Jericho, let the spies in Jericho in. She became a Christian. Later on, she gave her life to God, and her and Samuel had a kid named Boaz. That's complicated. We have also uh, David's wife, Bathsheba. David had a kind of a moment, was tempted, saw a woman through the window, asked her to come up, and he slept with her. Not only did he sleep with her, but they had a child together named Solomon and he wanted to cover it all up so he killed her husband. That's complicated. That's downright homicidal. That's like 2020 action. Dateline news, like, you know. That's like making of a murderer. That's like complicated. Then we've got the, the, the story of Mary, 16, 14-year-old girl, never had sex, but she's pregnant. And she's pregnant with God, but she's married. So who did you have sex with? I didn't have sex. But why are you pregnant? That's complicated. <laughs> we see all throughout the line of Jesus, from the very beginning of Abraham to the very beginning of Jesus, that the seed line was carried through people who had really complicated lives. Lives lacking faith and lives lacking hope and lives where they were called and Rahab being a prostitute was called to carry the seed line of God. And you've got, over here you've got Ruth, this woman we don't know anything about, happened to bring all the story, her story intertwines with Boaz's story. And we've got Abraham and we've got all these different people who are murderers and, and, and people who are adulterers and prostitutes and, and people who have no faith. All through it all, God had a purpose in the overarching of history that they would play a role in carrying the seed line of Jesus Christ down to the moment where Jesus was born. And it all came through complicated relationships. I want to focus on one as we kind of bring the plane down to the flying field or what's it called? Landing pad. Landing strip. 
A pad is for a helicopter drill. <laughs> We're not flying a helicopter. I want to focus for a moment on this guy named Boaz, whose wife was Ruth. I can't go into all the incredible <laughs> detailed nuances. Next summer, we're going to do an eight-week series on the life of Ruth. I'm going to walk through it, so I'm going to give a little snapshot to that for a moment. We go all the way back to the story of Ruth in Ruth chapter 1, and we see that there was a woman named Naomi and Elimelech. Boaz, Elimelech was Boaz's uncle, and I won't even tell you how Naomi and Elimelech, who are husband and wife, are related because it's crazy weird. <laughs> do your own research, and I'm not going to say it today. It was his uncle, whatever. It's okay. They're very related. <laughs> and here they are. They make a decision. There's a famine in the land in Judah, in Israel. And in those days, when you lived, if you, were a, the, the, if you were of the Israel nation, you were considered to be followers of Yahweh. Yahweh was your God, and you were not supposed to associate, uh, I mean, you could talk to, but you're really not supposed to even marry any other nations, specifically the Moabitess nation. And so here we are in the story, and there's a famine all across the land of Judah. And Elimelech makes a decision for the family that he's going to move his whole family to, Mo to Moab. Now, this was a poor decision because his decision was he was saying, God, really, I don't trust you in your land. I don't trust you're going to provide. And so I need, to, I need some food for my family. So we're going to move to a godless nation of people who are rejecting God. And we're going to move there. And he moved his entire family over to Moab. And when we got there, literally within a few years, Elimelech died. Now Naomi is, has a dead husband and has two sons. And in this story, the, these two sons wanted to have a wife. And so they made a decision to go marry two Moabitess women. Now, this was absolutely against the law of God. As an Israelite, as a follower of Yahweh, you were not supposed to marry anyone outside of the Israelite community. This was a rejection of the principles and the law of God. Yet these two boys had just met these most beautiful girls, Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. And they went there and they met these girls and they're just beautiful and they're amazing. And the scripture says, 10 years later, the sons died. Elimelech made a decision with his family. We need food. We're in the very place of God, but we're going to leave the place of God. We're going to go to a place where there's food. And when they got there, Elimelech died. The two sons died. Now, Naomi is a, is a widow in a foreign godless land with no husband, no sons. And all she has now is two widowed daughters-in-law who are Moabitess. And so she knows these girls can't come back with me. I need to go back to Judah. I need to go back to God. I need to go back to the place where I'm choosing Jesus and not choosing the tree. I need to get back there again. I'm going to go. But listen, girls, you can't come with me. I need you to go because you're going to be a widow. I can't have another child. I'm super old, and so you can't wait for my kid to be born and then marry that kid. You'll be like 90, and that kid will be like 14. It's really weird. We're not going to make that happen. It's, you know, that can happen. If you move over, no one's going to marry you because you're a Moabitess girl. I want you just to stay here. And Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah says, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go live in Moab. But Ruth, the very scripture very clearly says what Ruth did. And again, they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. 
Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and, and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn your back. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. At that moment, Ruth gave her life to God and said, I see something in you. There's something about you, uh, Naomi, that I want to give my life to. There is a godly relationship here. And so I'm not just going to go with you. I'm literally going to cling myself to you. I've lived in a godless nation. I've lived in a godless land. My husband is dead. And now I realize that I want to serve God and I don't know how to do that. You know what? I could stay in Moab. I could stay in my old life. I could stay in my old relationships. I could stay where I was. But today, I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to go for the purposes of God in my life. And I've found someone in my life who can draw the purposes of God out of me. I'm going to cling to it. This was the key, the very relational key to Ruth being the carrier of the seed line of Jesus. A relationship that she chose to cling to. You got to find these people in your life. You got to cling to them. Maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your wife, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's somebody. You got to find these people in your life and you've got to cling to them because they have a part to play in the fulfillment of the purposes of God in your life. So, what they did was as they went back to Judah. And this is a major prophetic film. We won't read it. Micah talks about Micah 5 and 1 Samuel chapter 18, how the prophetic word said that from Bethlehem would be born David, and from Bethlehem would be born Christ. This huge prophetic thing that they made a decision to go back, and here's Ruth now in tow with Naomi, comes back to the place of, uh, back to Bethlehem, and now they're living in the very place where King David was born and King Jesus was born, right in this place, and it all just happened because Ruth decided to cling herself to Naomi, a godly relationship in her life. She found herself set up to be fulfilled, to see the very prophetic word fulfilled in her life. Look what happens. Ruth chapter 2. One day Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let's, let me go out in the harvest field, pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right. She basically said, well, I'm going to go get a job. We'll get us some food. So Naomi walks out of her home. It's all these fields. <sighs> okay, which field should I go? I heard that over the west side on 7th Street's a really good field. There's also some really cute boys over there. I heard that on 9th Street, uh, the, the, the harvest is great. This guy, her's a jerk. I don't know what to do. So I don't know. I'll just, I'll just kind of start walking. She ends up on this field. This looks like a nice one. These look like nice people. And she just starts working. She gets into the field. She chooses this place to work. She just starts gathering sheaves. These men come over to her. They help her. They protect her. They, they start speaking well of her. And look what the verse says next. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters, and it just so happened. That phrase actually means it was an accident. It was just osmosis. It was serendipitous. I like that movie. Serendipitous. It was just this moment where she stumbled upon the purposes of God for her life, knowing that she had to be in relationship with Boaz to fulfill the purposes of God for her life. And the very thing that got her there was her clinging to the relationship with Naomi just so happened. Do you know that God wants to give you just so happened moments in your life? Just so happens. 15 years ago, I went to a youth conference in Portland, Oregon. 
I walked into a room of 4,000 people and it just so happened that I saw this cute little 18-year-old Italian and I felt in my heart, I need to cling to that girl and I walked over her and I clung to her. Come here, girl. No, I'm just kidding. I saw her. Little did I know that 15 years later, her and I will be pastoring a church and seeing the lives of people change and have two wonderful children. I didn't plan that. That was a just-so-happened moment. I walked under the field of Boaz and found myself to go. I happened to get a job opportunity to move to Calgary, Alberta. Where is Calgary, Alberta? I don't know. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Who knows? Let's take it. We move our entire family, get a U-Haul truck, go all the way to Mid Park Christian Assembly in down in Shaughnessy down there. We take a youth pastor position and a girl named Lisa Coe becomes my personal assistant in the youth. Little did I know, Lisa Coe was James' sister. 14 years later, James has now been leading worship for our church for two years. Little did we know, by accident, I took an opportunity, and now this guy's killing it in worship every week, leading us to the presence of God. Why? Because relationships are the key to you fulfilling the purposes of God in your life. Little did we know that when you go begin to serve Jesus, you choose God, and he begins to put relationships in your life that are godly, and they begin to help you, and they begin to push you, and you find yourself working in the field where Boaz lived. Look at this scripture, and we'll end right here. We'll land the plane. I thought I said that already, but the plane's been circling. <laughs> the flight deck saying, no, not yet. <laughs> Just then. Notice that. Say it out loud. Just then. I don't know where I'm going to go. I'm going to work on this field. Oh, it happened in Boazville. And just then, Boaz shows up. He looks across the room and sees this gorgeous woman. says, hey, oh, who's that? That's Ruth. Let me tell you a story. Tells a story. Oh, I'm going to protect her. I'm going to guide her. I'm going to be with her with her. I'm going to partner with her. I'm going to help her. And Boaz just sets her up. See, these relationships set you up. When I know that I'm, God's called me to be in your life, I'm going to set you up. God's put people in my life to set me up. Set you up for opportunity. Set you up for progress. Set you up for growth. God uses these people in your life to set you up. He just starts setting her up. And then look at this. <laughs> look at this scripture in verse 19. So Ruth finishes her day. She's got more barley and more extra food from the, the worker's tent than she can even carry. She's just full of food. Just imagine garbage bags of leftover muffins from Starbucks. Walking in, hey, Naomi, <laughs> look at this. Look what she says. She goes, oh my gosh, where did you work today? Like, where did you end up? She's like, well, you know, I got there and I was looking around and these guys are nice and it was kind of awesome. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she'd been working. Well, I, I guess the name I work with today is Booz, Bo Boaz. And look what she says. May the Lord bless, may the Lord bless him. Naomi told daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us as well as to your dead husband. That man is one of our closest relatives and one of our family redeemers, our kinsman redeemer. Boaz was the only man in that entire city who had the legal right to marry Ruth. The only man. Out of all the nation of Israel, this man lived in their city, had the right to do it. She had the right to redeem Ruth of all her past, redeem Ruth of all her hardships, redeem Ruth of all of her dismay and all of her being a widow and all the things that she'd experienced, the loss of her husband, loss of her father-in-law. Boaz was the one that would redeem her in her life and God knew it all along and he's in the middle of it saying, okay, come on, I got a plan for your life, but you got to cooperate. You got to cling to those relationships. You got to get those relationships out of your life that aren't pushing you forward. They're not going to 
to keep you from getting to where God wants you to go. Just end the relationship. Wean yourself off of that relationship and begin to cling to the relationships in your life that are going to pursue the purposes of God. You are a carrier of the kingdom of God. You may not have a natural seed that carries God. You have the spirit of God living inside of you. And we all have a purpose to see the purposes of God fulfilled in this world today. Specifically and generally in this world today, you have the opportunity to be a part of the greater purposes of God. And the key is finding the relationships in your life that God wants to pair you with. Would you stand with me this morning? Come on, I want to pray. As every week, I just have you close your eyes for a few moments. I'm just going to ask two prayers today, two things. I want to pray about people in the room who do have relationships in their life that maybe are unhealthy, and they don't know how to navigate the complications of creating boundaries. You're here today, and you just need wisdom. Wisdom on your relationships, wisdom in your life, wisdom on how to navigate this and position yourself to cling to these godly relationships. I also sense in my heart that some of you are here today and you, you are, have a fear of being hurt. And so you keep isolated, you keep distant, because you, every time you go to reach out to someone, they backstab you, they hurt you, the thing falls apart, and it's left you feeling hurt. If you're one of those people today, would you just wave your hand at me? I want to see who I'm praying for today. Come on, raise your hand. We pray for you right now. Father, I just pray for the people who raised their hand today. Lord, for all the people who didn't. I pray for wisdom. Lord, these relationships in their lives that cause them to, they, they pull them down. They, they grab onto their feet, God, and they won't let them move forward. Lord, I just, it's like this tension in the relationship and they want to move forward, but God, they don't know how. How do I navigate this? God, I pray for wisdom. I pray that in every relationship, God, that they would begin to turn to you and say, God, give me wisdom. I pray for boldness and courage to set necessary and healthy boundaries and to understand what that would be and to begin to identify the lives of these people where, Lord, there's, there's a benefit. But Lord, also, God, help them understand where there's an opportunity to begin to set clear boundaries for them to be able to step away from that unhealthy relationship. I pray for wisdom. I pray for those in the room that have been hurt. Those in the room who don't want to try again because every time they try, they fall flat on their face. God, I know the feeling. I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength and the faith to try again. I can't promise that won't happen. I can't promise that they won't get hurt again. But God, I pray that even in my own life, the Lord, I'm going to get hurt again, but my heart has changed. My perspective isn't angry anymore. My perspective is now love and care and understanding and wisdom from you, God. And I pray that when they do step out, Lord, that you would reward them with their faith by coming through and giving them a relationship that will bless their lives, that will set them up for success in their life, oh God. Just help there be no fear, oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Come on, you're here today and you say, Ryan, I'm new to church, I'm new to God. I'm, I'm maybe you're, you went to church when you were little and you're first time back today or maybe you're a Christian and you want to give your life to God again or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Say, Ryan, I like what you're saying. That really impacted me today. I, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Come on, if you're here today and you say, Ryan, I want to give my life to God with every eye closed, would you lift your hand just real high real quick so I can see you? I just want to know who I'm praying for. I'm not going to pull you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Put your hand up real quick and you can put it down. I just want to know who I'm praying for. Come on, let me pray for them right now. Repeat after me, church. Lord Jesus. I come before you today. I need you in my life. I confess I'm a sinner. I have areas of weakness and brokenness in my life. And I need you to come right now and fill my life. I acknowledge that you're God, the God of my heart, and the God of my life. I commit my life to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Fill me with your love. Fill me with your grace. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.